ready? I'm ready. All right. Hi, guys. Hey, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard? I want to thank Aaron Cerrone and Patty Meglich for filling in for me last week. I was out of town last week, and they did a fantastic job. I think that episode is posted, so hopefully you've had a chance to look at that one, or you will in the immediate future at some point. Really interesting stuff. Patty is uh, a fellow Ohioan uh, who comes to us from Cleveland and now is an HR specialist at the University of Nebraska-Omaha, professor of HR, and she had some really interesting comments about human resources and the evolution of that and what to expect in the future. I thought that was fascinating. It is um, April 15th. Tax day. Tax day. <laughs> Although we've had an extension till April 18th, we're allowed to file mm-hmm. our taxes on April 18th. So guess what I'll be doing this weekend? <laughs> Filing my taxes. My accountant submitted them to me. They're in my inbox today, so I have to print them off, get them postmarked by the 18th, find money, that, that kind of stuff, you know. So that's exciting. It was interesting <laughs> because this morning I ran into the office just to print off a few things uh, before we before we met for this episode, and my printer gave me the out-of-ink indicator. So now I have to go get ink cartridges in order to print my taxes, in order to pay my taxes, and so, you know, the pressure is rising. So <laughs> I just had a bunch of printer issues, too. Oh, yes. That's- Always when you need that printer, mm-hmm. there are issues. So. Yeah. I always need my printer. I'm old-fashioned. I print everything. I do. I, I like to print stuff in order to read it. <laughs> yeah. I can't read stuff off of a screen. I print it. I've been doing that for years. Right exactly. Like I have, here. have notes and stuff. Yep. My guest today, I'm really excited. We, we did an episode quite a long time ago in the very beginning, you know, kind of the infancy of What's the Hazard, and you joined me for an audio version of the podcast, which was really interesting, got good feedback. Now that we're on YouTube and we are blasted out all over the world... Um, it's a pleasure to introduce Danny Arroyo. You are the owner, president, um, head consultant for WorkSafe Consulting. Yes. Here in Omaha, Nebraska, headquartered here in Omaha, Nebraska. Yep. Soon to be worldwide, I would imagine, but <laughs> headquartered here for the time being. Uh, yep. Yep. We are headquartered in Omaha. Uh, we've expanded to to Iowa and soon to be South saw Dakota. That. Yeah, I was on your west your website last yep. night, and a really nice looking website looks great. Thanks. The services have expanded. You have employees. You're an actual business person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's really yeah. exciting. I was, you yeah. know, I haven't had an employee ever in the eight years I've been doing it. Yeah. How how long have you been doing this now? Um, so I graduated about a decade ago, and I went uh, into <laughs> from school like from, uh, from graduate school. Oh my yeah, god! From with my doctorate from Creighton, so okay. I went straight into and this would be sort of considered industrial therapy. So I went straight into that, but I've owned my business for about four years. Okay, fantastic. Are you loving it? Do you yeah. love it? Yeah, I really do. Uh, the specialty I love, and now that I've brought employees on, mm-hmm. it's. I love to teach. Mm-hmm. I always said that I would end my career in teaching. And so having employees that, because I'm so specialized, I have to teach them. It's not just sort of general knowledge in therapy. And so I uh, I get to kind of teach and mentor them. So nice. I'm really loving having employees. And so particularly this industrial <laughs> therapy. So let's yeah. explain to everyone, WorkSafe Consulting, you are occupational therapists, yep. at least by education. And you translate these skills into an industrial setting or the prevention of injuries and the benefit of these employees, and so, which is really uh, on the periphery of what I understand. You know, I'm, I'm the old-fashioned OSHA regulation guy. And so what you're doing, what you add to this mix is ideally preventative. I'm sure you do some reactive or responsive stuff, but primarily just trying to alleviate or intervene in the injury process or something. Can you can you talk a little bit about what WorkSafe Consulting does and and who would benefit from this? Yeah, definitely. So we primarily partner with uh, larger manufacturing facilities, production facilities, meatpacking. Um, so big production facilities are who primarily use our services. Uh, we do on-site injury prevention clinics. So what that looks like is Um, at the first sign of even sort of an ache or um, if someone's, you know, holding their shoulder, doing this sort of thing, we try to get them into the clinic right away. So we do that by, um, you know, telling people that they have access to the services and then educating the the line supervisors and management that we want those folks to get into the clinic as soon as possible so that we can 
talk to them about whatever that discomfort is that they're having and investigate into the job on what could be changed or how they could potentially be doing it differently. Okay. Um, so that's the on-site clinic aspect of it. So trying to educate people on how they can do their job with less discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. So, so let's focus on that just a little bit because I think that piece is really interesting. And, and we have some mutual clients that you do that for mm-hmm. and have had success with that. Um, they've commented on how, you know, that the, the, you know, the, the fact that the benefits are fairly quick and obvious mm-hmm. from doing that. And I have seen that now for about 15 or 20 years. I've seen on-site clinics, either occupational therapists, uh, physical therapists at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, how do you communicate the information to the employees to let them know that if they're feeling some kind of like discomfort. I mean, we want to intervene at a discomfort level rather than at an injury level mm-hmm. or a maybe a diagnosable injury level. I'm not sure what the specific terminology is, but how do you communicate that to the employees? You mentioned something about like going through the supervisors or Yep. So ideally it can take a while to get our we'll talk about more more about some of the other services that we offer, but everything is sort of interconnected. If mm-hmm. you've been in a lot of plants, so you understand that everything impacts everything else. Um so it can take a while for everyone to sort of understand what's going on, especially in the bigger plants. Ideally, what we want to be doing is in the new hire orientation classes, um, we'll be presenting to all those folks. Love so, um, you know, we'll make a short PowerPoint specific to that employer on what specific services that employer wants to offer their employees. We'll discuss that. We introduce ourselves so that they know who it is that they'll be working with. Um, but if we can get a little bit of time with folks as they're coming into the company and they know that the service exists right away um, and they understand that the employer wants them to use it mm. um, because they wouldn't bring us in if they didn't want right. them to use it. Right. Um, so that so that the, indep- the individual employees can advocate for themselves and then just continuing to meet with and discuss with the supervisors like the best practice um, for getting people in as soon as possible. Experienced supervisors really understand that it's very beneficial for them to have their people not hurting. Right, sure. um, And so once the way that we practice is actually pretty different than most on-site clinics from my understanding. And so once the supervisors really understand what it is that we're doing, um, they're usually fully on board and they try to get people onto us right away um, to the clinic so that they don't have that person missing work, calling out last minute or leaving halfway through the shift because they do have actual pain at that point. Um, it also generally tends to blend into really well one of the other services that we offer, which is uh, ergonomic assessments. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes once we're sort of ingrained in the plant and we've built those relationships with the supervisors and management and they understand what it is that we're doing and that it actually is beneficial for them, uh, they'll ask us to come and help assess changes to lines or if they're having a lot of turnover complaints on a line, they'll uh, ask us to help uh, figure out what could change on that line so that their folks are not suffering mm-hmm. through their mm-hmm. whole shift. Um, so, yeah, everything is kind of connected. Yeah, it is, very much so, <laughs> absolutely. And so I, I like the orientation piece. I think that's great. Get the information to these employees in the very beginning so they understand that it's available and the importance of it, mm-hmm. um, the need for that early intervention. And so then are you um, – and the ergonomics piece – is something that I defer to you, you know, as a, as an OSHA safety and health person, my understanding of ergonomics is very limited. Uh, I know my wheelhouse and that's not it. So I typically send them to folks like you to do those evaluations. Are they generally responsive to a request or will you go out into a facility and do evaluations uh, proactively as well? Do you do that kind of thing? Like if someone, if you weren't on site necessarily at an employer, but they wanted an assessment done, could they just contract that piece of the, of yeah. the service? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that happens, I'd say we do both. The reactionary, you know, there was a major injury, and so they want the job assessed so they can figure out what realistic changes mm-hmm. they can make. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say the bulk of our work actually comes from more proactive employers, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. um, where they're wanting the assessments done in advance so then they can start uh planning for potential changes to the lines with production and safety and quality and all those folks. Mm -hmm. So we do do both. We'll occasionally get 
occasionally get contracted in to do just, you know, one-off ergo assessments on a production line. Um, and then also assessing an entire plant. Mm-hmm. And administrative areas, you'll do all of the workstation, those types of workstations as well. Yep. Anything absolutely. related to posture and that interaction with the work? Yeah. Yeah. We do office and, uh, yes. and manual material mm-hmm. handling jobs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We used to have, in OSHA, we had this one page document that showed a a workstation and all of the neutral postures and the distances and stuff. And then we would just use that for everybody. And I thought this is not actually what we're supposed to be doing. (laughs) You know, one size isn't supposed to fit everyone, but we use that same document for every terminal workstation computer setup. It was ridiculous, you know. For the office ergo there, you, that sort of thing is, that's a good um, indicator to go by. But uh, what I found over the years, because I also, for a brief period of time, I was an ergonomic specialist for a Fortune 500 company that was only office ergo. Oh, really? So I did a lot of office mm-hmm. ergo, and I had awesome access to, like, all office ergo equipment, which is not normal in most facilities. Mm-hmm. Most facilities don't want to spend money on office ergo. That's just standard. Um, but what I found is that people just don't have a lot of awareness of how they physically are stationed at their workstation so you can give them yeah you can give them that piece of paper but they usually they'll think that they're doing it and they're not so sometimes it will take someone to actually like help them get into that posture so that they can actually feel what it should feel like interesting yeah I think that perception is is uh, very common you know I see the image of the ideal situation I'm definitely in that and then you see a picture of yourself or something and realize not even close Mm -hmm. I don't mean to get off topic, but I went for a golf lesson once and the guy videoed my swing and he, he then brought me into the office and put it next to Tiger Woods or someone, you know, and they weren't even the same sport, let alone similar in structure. And that was the day I gave up golf. Anatomically, there was no way I was doing what he was doing. And so I haven't golfed since 20 years ago, but yeah. But the I same thing happened people... to me at a running clinic. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they did the same thing? For yeah, me? they would video you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> put you next to Joan Benoit Samuelson or something, and you're like, uh, I'm out. Uh, no, they didn't do the side-by-side, but it's pretty obvious like yeah. when, you, when you actually see yourself. Yeah. So, again, off-topic. Not necessarily off-topic, but I struggle, and I didn't mean to make this about my you, you coming here to help. <laughs> necessarily but but since I have access to the expert I really struggle with sitting Uh you know the whole hip flexor sitting in a chair at your desk if I if I'm out in a plant and I'm up and moving and walking and all of that I'm usually pretty good Mm -hmm. but if I have two days in my office and I sit in my shitty chair for two days at my desk typing you know writing report whatever um, I am crippled for, so is there a chair? I mean, actually, I kind of like these sit-stand chairs a little bit. I may take this chair out with me when we leave. <laughs> but, I mean, not sitting down into a chair deeply into my hip flexor seems to help immensely. I mean, what's the what's the deal? I mean, are you, do we sit on the exercise balls? Do we sit on that $8,000 ergonomic chair? What do we do? So... I would agree with you. Uh, when I am the most worn out when I work at my desk for a full day, too, and actually the research shows that office workers have more work-related pain than uh, manual laborers. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, so what you really want to avoid is the static postures. So if you were so inclined, you could get a sit-stand desk. Um, you can also get a converter, which you have to be careful with those. I can talk to you about those okay. a little bit more. Um but they tend to actually put you in worse positions unless you get the correct one. Um, you would want to get your actual office set up correctly first, which okay. it probably isn't, would be my guess. Just most people don't have a correct office set up. Yes. Um, so I would do that because that will actually probably get rid of more aches and pains than what you think it will. Um, so you want to get that set up first. If you have... Like you were saying, one size does not always fit all if you have pre-existing injuries or issues. So you talked about your hips a lot, so you might have issues with your hips. So the standard setup might not work for you. Um, But really what you want to avoid and uh, what sometimes is overlooked when you're talking about office ergonomics specifically is that you just don't want static postures for long periods of time. So ideally, you'd want to be changing your posture every 20 to 30 minutes. Okay. When you're deep in in your work and really focused, you're probably not going to do that. 
Um, so oftentimes people will say that they want the sit-stand desk, um, but sometimes you know they won't actually use the standing aspect of it, or some people will tend to just stand a lot and not sit, and that's just as bad as sitting all the time because you're just standing. So if you don't want to get a sit-stand desk, I actually use a timer at my. I do have a sit-stand desk, of course, but I actually have a timer because like if I'm writing reports, mm-hmm. you do a lot of report writing too. Um, I'll just zone out. So I actually set a timer and I get up and I'll go get fresh water or whatever the case is. And so how, how long is the period? How, long, how often do you set the timer to go up? I set mine for every 40 minutes. Every 40 minutes? Yep, when I'm doing like a big chunk of report You know writing. you're going to be in your office for a while. Yep. Okay. For me, the 20 minutes is just, it's not doable because it takes so long to refocus my mind. And I think that probably a lot of people who do office work would probably agree with that because mm-hmm. uh, it's more cerebral work and you have to really be focused and in the zone. Um, but yeah, I do mine every 40 minutes. So I'll either go from sitting to standing or I'll get up, go get a glass of water, uh, take my dog for a short walk if I'm at home, whatever the case mm-hmm. is. Um, but it's that static posture that's really not good for your body, whether you're sitting or standing. And what do you, we'll get back to the services that you're offering. I didn't mean to cut, <laughs> cut you off, but I'm always fascinated by this stuff. So what is it that you see, if you can even identify something or even maybe prioritize a list of things that you see out in the industrial environment, out in the shop or the plant, what, what common things do you see that are relatively straightforward to correct, to mitigate? I mean, are there things that you just, I just see this all the time and we, you know, employers maybe overlook it or don't realize how critical some of those risk factors are? What do you see commonly that you can fix? Uh, so one of them would be heights of workstations, and it depends on your particular work environment, but... Um, So if people are reaching up, that's a lot of stress on the shoulders, neck, upper back. So if you can just get some sort of, if it's a static standing job, which a lot of production facilities it is, um, if you can just get like a height adjustable stepping stool for them and teach them how to actually adjust it properly so that they are working uh, here. So hips to middle of chest. So if they're just repetitively working, they want to be working directly in front of them. Um, So... You know, six inches can make a big difference if you're working eight to ten hours in a static posture. It can make a big difference. Uh, And the other huge thing that I see a lot of is contact stress. Um, So in production lines where if you have conveyors and they have the conveyor walls, which that's how a lot of Mm -hmm. conveyor lines are set up, uh, it'll be a really thin metal. So almost like sharp. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's contact stress. That's gonna, so you're leaning against it or yep, you're resting your resting arms your elbows and and you can try to say, well, they were trained to not do that, but realistically, people are going to rest their arms well, on it. it. It just is going to happen. Anyone would. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what do you do about that? So that one, what I like to recommend is uh, rounding that out, mm-hmm. so it shouldn't be narrow and sharp. Um, and depending on how they're working, I'm going to stand up. Sure. Um, so if they're working in front of them like this um, or reaching down, which I don't know if the camera can see me, more commonly they're going to be reaching down so about like waist height. Right. Um, so a sharp metal edge right here, you'd want to round it out so it's not sharp. Okay. And then also... You don't want to be doing this. No, you don't want to like, be like that. And that's the same like on a desk too. Mm-hmm. So rounding it out so it's not the sharp edge that's causing that contact stress. So okay. contact stress on the wrist is really common in everything, including Mm -hmm. office work uh, and production work. Uh, So that causes a lot of different things. Carpal tunnel Mm -hmm. is going to be the big one that most people are going to know about. Um, But narrow, sharp edges I see everywhere. Yeah, I mean, everything is built on edges. Everything's Mm -hmm. built in square. Yep. So you want to add to that and kind of flare it out so it's not sharp. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Or you can cut it down completely if you don't actually need that sidewall, which not all conveyors need that sidewall. Yeah, but I would imagine, as you said, I, and I have to admit, I don't pay attention to that. I don't necessarily look for that. I'm looking for, like, chains and sprockets that mm-hmm. people can get their fingers caught in around conveyors or things, and so I could probably overlook that. But that's an interesting comment because everyone rests on something. Mm-hmm. I do that at my desk. Mm-hmm. I know that I do this periodically or, you know, and my elbows will be sore. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great comment. Interesting. Context stress is huge. I I just see it constantly. Mm -hmm. And so um, what other services are you guys 
We've talked about um, the on-site clinics. We've talked about the ergonomic assessments, mitigation strategies. Let's see. So we do, um, we do post-offer testing, so for mm-hmm. new hires. Um, I know you wanted to talk a little bit mm-hmm. about this is interesting uh, to me. the hiring aspect yeah. since it's a huge issue across the nation, right. but especially in the Midwest. And having enough employees has always been an issue for us in the Midwest. It is. We never have enough employees. Never. Um, so post-offer testing, what it is, is... Um, you know, a full functional test that is directly based off of the objective physical demands of the job that the person is being hired for. Mm -hmm. So um, the purpose of it is to make sure the person can physically do their job, um, that they can do it safely. Um, And then also, so we're healthcare providers, of course, so there's a medical aspect. We do a medical screen before we would get to any sort of functional testing to make sure that they're safe to test. Okay. so if they have any sort of uncontrolled medical conditions, they would need to get those under control before they would be considered safe to test. Uh, so why you might want to do the post-offer testing is, of course, to see if the person can do the job um, and to accurately be able to put them in an area where they won't be hurt. Um, something that I I can tell you a story about this, something that I have recently seen. I've always known this, and I kind of try to push employers to not ignore this fact uh, but when people are put in jobs that they can't actually do without lots of pain or or discomfort um they'll just leave i i mm-hmm. it's really common i've seen it over all the years that i've been doing this so partic- particularly in a production facility where you know these huge places where there's just a ton of employees and you have say like five or six production lines more or less doing the same thing and you know, there's this one job that they just can't keep staffed. Oftentimes, employees won't feel like they can bring up the issues in the job uh, to whoever is the supervisor or manager, and so they just quit. Mm. Um, so matching the employee to the actual job that they can do um, within their realistic abilities helps a lot to decrease turnover. And that would seem to be an indicator then that we may need to pay special attention to that particular job as well. I mean, if we're running through a lot of employees, we can't get everyone to stay, anyone to stay in that position. You know, maybe we do need to take a closer look at that position to see Mm -hmm. if we're missing something. I'm thinking of a client in my mind right now that has that situation. They just... There was one particular job. It's very unique, and it, it is hard for them to keep people in that. And they attribute it to other things like crappy employees and, mm-hmm. you know, no work ethic. And there's, um, But it may very well be the job itself just needs to be modified in some fashion. It could be the job needs to be modified. Oftentimes it's multiple things, so um, the job might need to be modified, but also they could be putting the completely wrong people in that job. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes what I'll see when facilities don't do post-offer testing or they do just sort of a general screen um, that doesn't really have anything to do with the job is employees are randomly placed in positions just depending on what's, what needs to be staffed. Right. Um, And realistically, like those line supervisors and managers can't say, we'll take for an example, the thing that most people think about is heavy lifting. Uh, so let's say the requirement for this job is lifting 80 pounds. So you and I are the new employees. They're going to look at you and they're going to put you in that lifting job. Mm-hmm. That's discrimination. <laughs> and, and a mistake. Yeah. yeah. So, so they, uh, another aspect of that is that you are actually basing, you know, you're hiring off of objectively what people can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that you commonly see. You'll see, you know, line supervisors, managers, who are given the responsibility, although they should not have it. Um, it should That shouldn't be something that they have to do of placing people in the accurate position when realistically it should be based should off be of based their on some type the objective. Of objective science uh, of some sort. Yeah, the objectives of the job and what that person has shown to be able to do physically, safely. Because I have gotten jobs throughout my life, I think, based on that assumption. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, I worked as a nurse's aide in a nursing home many, many years ago, Um, And they immediately, um, when I came in as a 22-year-old man or something, they immediately took me and put me into the total care ward where all of the, what we would would later learn were dementia, Alzheimer patients Mm -hmm. who needed total care. And I carried them to the lunchroom. I carried them to the bathroom. I carried them to the shower because we had one Hoyer lift in the entire facility. And that was way down at the other end of the hall. And 
So it was just much easier to put them on my shoulder and carry them to lunch or something, you know. I'm not sure that the, you know, the joint commission or whoever looks at nursing homes would be thrilled with that necessarily. But it was discrimination, and I, I wonder if I have a, a suit of some sort. In retrospect, that was 40 years ago, yeah. so maybe, maybe I don't not. know that the same laws existed back then. Probably not. But that's what you see a lot is um, particularly the difference in men and women. If there's a heavy lifting job and there's a man and a woman, the man will generally be placed in it. Um, but I know a lot of women who are in industry because they really enjoy the, oh, the aspect of it. Without um, question. And they struggle to be able to get placed into those jobs, but they love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so it really should be based off of the objective of what. And the so, how do we do that do. then? So, what should they be doing? What would what would an employer ideally be doing with respect to assessing those job needs, uh, doing the testing? You said post offer. So now I have offered someone a job, but they've made it through the initial HR process, and I'm offering them a job, and now I need to assess what their abilities are so I can place them into the appropriate job. Is that uh, what you're describing? Or? Well, they would be offered a specific job. Um, so it should be after after they've been offered. Um, and it's contingent, just like um, if you were offered a job and you had to take a drug screen, it's Ooh. contingent upon you passing the drug screen. So it's just another right. one of those aspects that the job offers contingent upon. Okay. Um, so it's contingent upon you passing the physical aspects of the job. Um, so you really have to have objective data backing up why you're doing that specific testing. Um, and so do you so develop those tests? Then you will look at the job and, and evaluate it and then develop the testing protocol for that? Yeah, yeah. When I do, when I develop tests, it's based off of the uh, the physical demands that come from the ergo analyses that I do. Okay. Um, so those, I don't think we've independently discussed the industrial ergonomic analyses, but those are just really in-depth reports where, um, hazards are identified, uh, some suggestions are given, and then I write up all the um, physical requirements of the job. Um, that and would then, be part of that assessment? Yep, so those physical requirements would be pulled into the testing if, if the employer chose to do that I testing. Um, so they those should. They should be doing that testing, I think right? they should. I, mean, they? I think they should. I think it, it would lead to lower turnover and more employee satisfaction mm-hmm. and, and – uh, Realistically, there would be less discrimination going on because it's based off of objective, mm-hmm. objective, measurable yeah. aspects of the job. That's interesting. So um, we were talking about the testing. I think I got off topic. Well, that's okay. No, um, I, I, um, I, I think there is, it must, and you see this all the time, at least you recognize it when you see it. I'm in plants all the time, and I'm assuming that most of them don't do what you've just described. Most of them just need bodies in positions um, and as you alluded to, they don't stay very long. And it's probably not dissatisfaction with the company that we're probably putting them into positions where they're not really physically uh, able to succeed in that position. But, you know, it's just putting bodies in positions at this point, particularly here in the Midwest where the workforce availability is so limited and that's really difficult. But, I mean, I think if people took the time to do what you're describing – that turnover would be less. Would you agree? I mean, yeah, I think it would decrease turnover pretty significantly. So maybe we need to focus on something like that rather than just we can't find anybody that will stay or everybody's lazy or whatever that might be. I mean, those may also be the case, but I don't think we always put people in a position where they're going to succeed. Yeah, I think definitely that's a good way to put it that putting someone in a job that they can't physically do is setting them up for failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story. So, uh, my newer employee, um, I was uh, providing some education to her about this sort of post-offer testing, and I've done thousands of post-offer tests. Um, and I was explaining to her, oftentimes people will think that the aspect of post-offer testing that is going to that is going to be the thing that people won't pass is the heavy lifting or anything heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I found, and it's not super common, um, is that so fine motor uh, and coordination – some people will fail that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been really interesting over the years seeing that because what it appears to as a healthcare provider, what I see is that most likely there are some people who have had what's called, I think, uh, a, a TIA, so a, a, like a mini stroke mm-hmm. pretty much. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when people have those, they don't actually realize that anything has happened. It's not generally something that you would go to the hospital for. Mm-hmm. What might happen is you wake up one day and you just feel off. You know, you feel off. Um, 
and you're just like, ah, I must not have slept well last night, or I've been under a lot of stress. And so you don't really think about it much. But what happens is that's your new normal. So you don't realize that your functional abilities have changed. Yeah. And so through the testing, I've had a handful of folks who I think most likely had some sort of neurological issues such as that um, because they literally couldn't do the basic coordination, so not heavy lifting, um, like making a stack of lids and putting it in a box. Mm. They couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And they they also couldn't identify um, that they had not done it how I had demonstrated and how I had on the the printout that they needed to simulate. and so that's been, I always thought that was one of the more interesting aspects of the post-offer testing, because even when you're not in heavy lifting, sometimes you'll have quality issues or, you know, supervisors might think that this person's just lazy and they don't care about the quality of their job. But realistically, they might actually not under, they might not be able to do mm-hmm. what they're being asked to do. Those, those fine motor dexterity type things. Yeah. And coordination. Mm-hmm. That's me. I, I can't do the heavy lifting anymore, and I don't think I have the ability to do those things, so... Safety consulting, I think, is actually actually. Normal. So, <laughs> but that, I think that's been that that's one of the most interesting things of post offer testing that I've seen over the years. Because mm-hmm. when you get into plants or in jobs where it's not heavy lifting, and you know you might have one employee who who just has a bad reputation as being a crappy employee, mm-hmm. I would be interested to see. You wouldn't test them after they've already hired, but uh, I would be interested to see if they actually if they could, could actually pass like a basic coordination test. And I would guess that quite a few of those people. Yeah, can't. you can't do that after the fact. I'm assuming that would be somewhat discriminatory, probably, uh, if you've not, already given them the opportunity to work the job and not unless there's a reason. Okay, um, that so. would be interesting to know. Yeah, that's a, that's a really an interesting thought. Do you? So one of the things that we do in an industrial setting. Uh, as far as evaluating an employee's capability of doing a job, we will do, uh, specifically with respiratory protection, we do a baseline health screen, maybe pulmonary function. We'll do a fit test to see if they can wear or tolerate a respirator, even fit a respirator to them uh, appropriately. Is there, is there any consideration giving to the, use, to, to the use of PPE? I mean, this job will require you to wear all of this PPE, and maybe you are, you know, perhaps physically or psychologically incapable of wearing. Do you do that, or do we get into that? Or that's going to be a decision on the employer. Okay. Um, so when we develop the post offer testing for the employer, um, we'll work with them to develop what they think mm-hmm. would be best for them. If it's PPE, where it is going to get in the way of what they're actually doing. So something that comes to mind is wearing multiple layers of gloves. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we probably would recommend that you use that. Um, But also if you're doing fine motor tasks with, so I'm thinking like um, an anti-cut glove plus uh, nitrile gloves over it. So that sort of thing. Um, If they are able to pass that coordination test, realistically, anyone's going to take a little bit of time to be able to have proper coordination when they're wearing excess materials on their hands. So that's also something that the employer would want to take into account. Mm -hmm, Definitely. That's Um, interesting. No one's going to hit the floor and be able to do their job immediately. Right. Yeah, no doubt. And so that's kind of a work hardening or work preparation approach. You guys get involved in that then, you know, trying to, you know, ease people into that stress or Um, something that you make recommendations on? Yeah, we do. Uh, We do probably more of that when people come back from injury, um, helping to ease them back into the job coming back from injury. Um, As far as the work hardening, um, that again is going to be up to the employer if they want to allow that because what, what I have seen in the past is employers will want to hire people who can't physically do the job. Um, and then they want to put them through like a month or two. And then at that month or two, then they would want to have them up to full speed on the job. Um, and that's 100% between the employer and their legal counsel um, on how they would want to structure that. Uh, we definitely can set that up. I've never actually had an employer who was willing to do that. Um, yeah. That would be something that I would defer to your legal counsel for sure. That's interesting. Okay. Um, I'm not against it at all. It's just you have to take into account, like, if they're not up to par, what are you going to do? Absolutely. And one of the reasons I even mention that is, um, you know, the industries that you and I both work in in common, the food processing world, there, there's quite a bit of strain, quite a bit of stress 
on new employee, on any employee, but new employees. I can remember, and um, I don't know if this is part of your um, group of modalities or whatever you use when you're in dealing with um, employees in the on-site clinics, but I went into a food processing facility one time in southeastern Nebraska, and the employees would come into the break room first thing in the morning and then jam their hands down into those baths of uh, wax, Mm -hmm. liquid Mm -hmm. wax. So basically hot wax, they would stick their hands down into this bath, pull it out, let the hot wax harden around their wrists primarily, I think, Mm -hmm. because they came in like this typically and they needed to be able to get their hands loosened up to be able to work. Jam it into the wax, take it out, let it harden. When it cooled off, they would peel the wax off and then mm-hmm. go to work. And I sat there watching this in horror, thinking, that can't be good. Is that something that we still do? Uh, that is a modality that exists. Uh, we do not use it. I think technically that would actually be considered medical treatment by OSHA standards. Uh, yeah, well, it's not my, first aid. It's not on the first Yeah, my, my understanding of the OSHA first aid which I'm pretty confident in, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, is uh, so we don't use modalities as healthcare providers uh, that automatic because we have to be licensed to use modalities. And Mm -hmm. that is a modality. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something that we're trained on in graduate school on Mm -hmm. how to properly use it and what it should properly be used for. Um, So I wouldn't think that would qualify as an OSHA first aid. I think that that would, that would would technically be trying to avoid. I mean, what you are doing on the onsite clinics is try to avoid these things becoming recordable and ultimately becoming more problematic to the employee. We don't use uh, the wax um, and whoever, whatever employer was doing that. uh, However, OSHA would want to look at it from my perspective, that's medical treatment. Mm -hmm. So it was, It was my first exposure to that, and I was very new with the agency. It was actually before the existing record-keeping standard, if that Mm -hmm. gives you, I think it was 2002, so it was before that. Mm -hmm. But it kind of shocked me, I have to be honest. It was the first time I'd seen that, and these poor people were just trying to get a little bit of relief so they could get through one more day. Mm -hmm. That's not a good thing. No. Not a good thing at all. No, not at all. And so you also do something that I find really interesting and know absolutely nothing about, but you, you deal with ADA issues as well. Yep. And you're kind of a, like, there aren't very many of you. No. You're like a unicorn to some <laughs> degree. I mean, I don't know anyone else that does ADA and in my evaluations, or is that an assessment that you provide, or what what? So that would sort of loop into some of the things that we've already talked about. I do know other people who will help on the ADA side, um, but they don't necessarily deal with the physical aspects of it. Mm -hmm. So what ADA accommodations from our perspective means is we would help the employer um, come up with a set of reasonable accommodations uh, that that employee could use um, to actually do the job. So, the ADA reasonable accommodation is it's a process law for employers. So uh, both the employee and the employer need to actively participate in good faith to try to come up with a reasonable accommodation um, so that uh, the employer is still getting the work done that they need done and the employee is able to access whatever that reasonable accommodation is. Um, and so where we come in in that is uh, helping with the employer and the employee um, what the person needs to be successful at the job. Um, And so the person can always, the person who wants accommodations has the right to make suggestions and they should. Um, So we understand the physical aspects of the job. You definitely need to have an analysis on the job when you're doing this. Um, We know the job, we know what the requirements are. We would work with the employee and if they'd like their physician to figure out what they can do and what sort of accommodations can be made so that they can do this job successfully. And then the employer would have, say, like three suggestions presented to them that they could choose from and to see if they believe within their business plan if any of those are reasonable for their business to accommodate. Okay. Um, so something that, say, could be reasonable is like a height adjustable standing platform. Mm -hmm. That's totally reasonable. Mm -hmm. And any sort of large production facility would run into trouble if they said that providing one was not reasonable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So 
Another thing would be uh, if someone is using a dolly to move heavy equipment and they have to lift it up a curb and they can't do that. So having a portable uh, curb cut. A ramp very of easy. some sort, yep. anything. Yep, something like that. So it can be more difficult to do some of those accommodations on the big production lines just depending on what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's absolutely always a case-by-case basis of the individual. Yeah. So. We're really good at that because we understand the physical aspects and we understand the medical aspects and we're healthcare providers. And uh, I mean, realistically, our goal is to help people as much yeah. as we can. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> so I, I, I found that interesting. And um, do you do expert witness work on some of those things? Have you ever been called as an expert witness to I, mean, I haven't testify mm-hmm. on any of these things? I, I would nope. assume that a lot of the, what you're talking about would be, uh, I'm not litigatable, um, litigious, I'm not sure what the right word is, but some of the things that you're referring to, like these accommodations or ergonomic changes, if an employee says, hey, look, I've got some problems in my workstation and you haven't done anything and now I've got the carpal tunnel or some of these other, you know, related injuries, I would think that you would be an ideal expert witness for that and would be able to charge at least twice your normal rate, you know? Yeah. That's um, interesting. You haven't done that yet? No, I will get called for like assessments or to help come up with the accommodations for Mm -hmm. examples like what you just gave. Um, I haven't been called into court and I'm not 100% certain that I would be interested in doing that. Yeah, it's so. interesting. It is, it is unique. but <laughs> We'll see. Our goal is really be, to help people. I think that absolutely. sounds really stressful. It, it does It does <laughs> seem like you have left the realm of helping people when you're doing those things. I've been deposed a number of times, and I've testified a few times, and uh, yeah, it, it almost feels like we've lost sight of what the objective is, you know, when we're litigating some of these things, but... Yeah. Well, I think I didn't necessarily mean it like that, that we wouldn't be helping people. We're very hands on and one on one. Like, Mm -hmm. and I I think that's why our clients like us, because I I think we do approach our work Mm -hmm. very differently than some other um, on site service providers. Uh, So we. So let's describe why WorkSafe is unique in that respect, or at least different, perhaps. um, Is it that the involvement like that, the on site involvement, the. The communication, the the relationship aspect of it, what what have you seen that... Um, I can talk a little bit about that, but I think our mutual clients might be better able to answer that because well, usually a, what I what I what I usually hear is, wow, I've never seen anything like this. This is totally different. Nice. Um, I think realistically how intertwined all of our services are and that we can help the entire facility. So mm. what I've seen with like the on-site clinics, oftentimes what it will be is just someone in a room providing whatever treatment they provide, and that's it. So we track everything that we see. We have multiple Excel spreadsheets. So what we're tracking is where does this person work? Where do they think the issue came from? Um, And we regularly bring those up to management to discuss potential changes. Um, If we brought up every single person we saw on their complaint about the job, nothing would ever get done. But we track those so that we can long-term see, like, what changes would be the most beneficial. Um, And so that's probably data that a lot of employers might not necessarily have. Um, we also, because we do the physical um, ergonomic analyses, uh, we already have usually data on those jobs with recommendations for changes. So if we're, we've had like 10 people come to see us because of shoulder discomfort for this one job, so we have the objective data that we've already gotten, and then we have the clinical data of people who have said that they're having this discomfort. And so that's just that much more support if the company wants to take that and budget for it for the next year, if there's you know, a big purchase that they would need to make to improve that line. Nice. So I think just how integrated we are mm-hmm. to provide support yeah, to the absolutely. employees and the employer, I think that is a big part of the difference. Mm-hmm. That's been my understanding. I don't know, because this is all I've done since I was a new grad, yeah. so it's all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of what... I've been led to believe by my clients is that just how holistic we are. Mm-hmm. So, so um, I am keenly aware. Uh, sitting here with you, you have excellent posture. I'm a sloucher by nature, and it's even more acutely uh, visible to me as I sit here and slouch <laughs> over this table and lean on these sharp edges and all these things that I need to sit up. Do I need to sit up more? 
straight? Um, it would be beneficial. I'll be honest with you. Sorry, guys, but this is not a good setup. At <laughs> not all. a great setup. No, I knew it. I'm I'm struggling to stay upright I here too, so I'm not like this. Do we have a law? <laughs> do I have a lawsuit with the? <laughs> Are you an employee? I'm not really an employee. Probably not. No. no. <laughs> but, okay, but it's it's not extremely comfortable. No. It seems as if this is promoting slouching to some degree. I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Okay, um, good. I thought it was just. Me. No, I think it's a setup. But that's that's also, I want to say, a lot of people will think that every single place needs to be set up correctly. And that's just not true. If you're going to be somewhere, right. like, it's a meeting room and people are usually there for, like, 30 minutes to 60 minutes once a week. Like, right. it doesn't need to be set up perfectly. Right. It's your desk that you're at for eight plus hours a day that you really want set up correctly. All right. You're um, off the hook. <laughs> no, I, I, I get that. But, and... and you know, I do have the good fortune of being in different locations all the time, always variable. I'm always I'm transient at most desks, so if I have a desk or a workspace at my client's location, every one of them is different. And so, you know, other than my office, and I honestly don't spend a lot of time there, but, you know, when I have two days in a row in the office, I can tell. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, I'm confident that my workstation is not set up correctly, so... Um, well, that's actually, so he, the, the term ergonomic is not actually, it's no one dictates what ergonomic is. Mm-hmm. And well, correct you, is really, right? If you, if you slap ergonomic on a product, what will usually happen is they'll double or triple the price. Mm-hmm. And the general public doesn't actually understand what ergonomic means. And so they'll purchase that. So I'll see a lot of people who have purchased ergonomic furniture or whatever the case is and I, for the life of me, could not tell you why it is ergonomic. Like these stools, which I'm going to lift up and show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if this had been marketed as ergonomic. Not necessarily sure. to these folks, but just in general. I mm-hmm. could see this being on Amazon as ergonomic. Oh, I could see Pat and Jill falling for that uh, immediately, too. <laughs> ergonomic. It, you just, yeah. you know, I think people trust the marketing that they're being honest. And right. so I see a lot of folks who have spent considerable money on what they thought was ergonomic and it Mm -hmm. just is not they're never going to be able to set themselves up correctly with what they've purchased but you do see and that's a a whole different discussion but the fact that you see that terminology on packaging on marketing ergonomic chairs or ergonomic workstations Mm -hmm. you were referring to some of those uh like aftermarket retrofit sit-stand desk converter things that are pieces of shit usually Mm -hmm. my words not yours necessarily but in every aspect of our lives, we see that stuff, man. Gluten-free, mm-hmm. okay. I don't know that, you know, like uh, not everything is necessarily gluten-containing in the first place. Now everything says keto on it, you know. Yeah, that's always fun when you see something that says gluten-free that wouldn't have gluten in it That wouldn't anyways. have never had gluten to begin <laughs> with, you know, or keto-friendly. or all, I mean, it's just we're overwhelmed with that. And yeah. I think OSHA approved. I've seen a number of products or paperwork or programs and things that are OSHA approved. And mm-hmm. man, you know, we preached year after year that OSHA approves nothing. They are not in the business of approving anything. And so, but we, we fall for that. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think ergonomics is that kind of that voodoo stuff that yep. most of us don't understand very well. Mm-hmm. We just want it to be ergonomic. And so we fall for it. Yeah. And people purchase, spend a lot of money. They probably mm-hmm. need to have the assessment done before investing a lot of money in office furniture or even industrial setups. Have you had an opportunity to work with a company in the um, design phase? Would you guys get involved in that? I mean, that would be kind of an interesting approach, maybe if you were brought in early. Mm-hmm. To consult on some of the design considerations. Are you talking about designing furniture or I'm like a new well, office? More, more, I'm not either an office or even in an industrial in the plant. You know, when you're designing the workstations or the work areas of the plant, I'm wondering if that wouldn't be something that might be useful to get involved in in the design build phase as well. I think it would be very useful. It's very difficult to get people to understand the usefulness of that. When I did um, just straight office ergonomics for a brief period of time, Mm -hmm. um, we did do that with our new office builds. It was a huge company, and so they were always building offices. So we Mm -hmm. did do that. I have tried to get clients to be a little bit more proactive about that, and I have Mm -hmm. not been successful up to Mm -hmm. this point. Um, What I see is that, so if we get it on the front end, so they're always going to have their furniture vendor 
um, whoever that is locally who mm-hmm. distributes office furniture, if we partner with them and it doesn't even take that long, just a handful of hours to set up a standard office setup that will actually work for 90 to 95% of the people, which is the standard that you want to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, then they don't really need our services for the most part, as far as the office ergonomics, except for people with injury or disability. Right. Um, but what we'll oftentimes see is that they don't do that and they just purchase a standard office setup that doesn't, it works for maybe five to 10% of people. Um, and so then they're calling us in for individual ergo assessments and recommendations for uh, equipment to retrofit, which retrofitting in any aspect is always more expensive than mm-hmm. doing it right the first way, the first time. I've seen that on a handful of companies where I did try to get them to do it proactively, didn't do it, and now they're spending a lot more money on us with doing individual ergo assessments for their employees and retrofitting yeah. The, yeah. the environment. Yeah, do it up front yep. before you make that purchase. And yep. I think it's interesting you say that because having worked for the government for 25 years, uh, they, I'm sure they bought the, the least expensive uh, office furniture that someone had written ergonomic on, and they were all horrible. All the workstations were horrible and unadjustable, and you, you couldn't change them with what you had available to, to, to make them accommodate someone. You had to change chairs. Mm-hmm. You had to buy new things. You had to, you know. What about, remember those old slide-out keyboard trays yeah. and stuff? And, you know, I mean, which... I, I guess we're going down, to, but I hated that stuff. Um, they just weren't very accommodating, mm-hmm. you know, don't like it. So other services, have we missed anything that you guys are doing? I know you, you do some program work, so you'll help companies design uh, ergonomic programs, or is that a thing? Is there such thing as an ergonomic program? or? Yeah, there's definitely an ergonomic things? program. So. Ideally, what we'd want to see in like a large plant environment is that we're sort of the expert that they call upon, and we would provide training to uh, whoever they want their team to be. So oftentimes that's going to be the safety team. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes that will include floor supervisors and managers. So once we're established and it's been, you know, there's a general understanding of whatever that plant wants their ergonomic process to be. I really think it's best for those employees to be the owners of the program. And then we are the subject matter uh, matter experts that are called in when they have questions. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's good because employees feel more engaged when they actually can come up with their own solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think they're more likely to actually follow through on whatever solutions they come up with. But you can do the training for the team. Yep. So if they assemble an ergonomics team bring in maintenance or industrial engineers or whomever they're going to have do these assessments, operators. Mm-hmm. You can train them on risk factors. and yep. risk factors to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's cool. Aspects that they want to be looking at, um, triggers that they might see, especially if you're talking about maintenance, they're never going to. They're never going to admit that they're in pain. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what what that might look like if they are in pain. Uh, they just um, work less. I think they just slow down and work less <laughs> in my experience. You know, yeah. they're in pain. Yeah. I can assure you of that. But that just translates into less work. and Yeah, yeah lower productivity. You know, lower productivity. Bad, bad attitudes eventually, mm-hmm. especially if they feel like the employer's not doing anything for them. Right. I yeah. agree. Oh, my God. Well, so you guys do a lot. And now how many employees do you have now? I have three, and we'll be hiring again later oh this year. Oh, my God, really? Yeah. I just checked your website, and you had, oh, my God, we've gone way over time. It's because so, I was late. No, it's okay. No, it's okay. <laughs> there is no actual time. But Cam's over there going, one hour, asshole. Excuse me. You, you can edit that one out for me. <laughs> Sorry. I don't want to taint Danny's reputation with my bad language necessarily. Um, there's a lot to talk about. You guys do a yeah, lot of things. You continue do. to grow. How do people, well, obviously, I'm excited that WorkSafe is a new sponsor of the podcast, and we are going to be promoting your services uh, to the point where you have to hire many, many more people, because all all of my clients would benefit from this, frankly. Um, I don't know if you dabble in the construction world. That's a whole different animal. But from even from the industrial side, everyone would benefit from the services that you're offering, I think, you know, I mean... Realistically, from the standpoint of employee retention, mm-hmm. employee well-being, employee health, employee safety, 
um, you know, all aspects. It's more preventative, much more preventative oftentimes than what I do. Mm-hmm. A lot of what I do is reactive, unfortunately. Um, so we're going to try to get you in all of our plants. I think they all need that help. And are you having a hard time finding people to come and work for you? Are there people coming out of school that you can train or do they need some experience before you'll so, take a chance on them? Um, I appreciate your support. Um, of course. Oh, and more than happy to do it. As far as, uh, you know, the clients, it, it is pretty pricey to bring in a, a contractor such as us where we kind of learn your business inside and out. So I can appreciate that it's not really in the budget for a lot of folks, mm-hmm. maybe just one-off trainings. Um, as far as hiring, I actually haven't hired for about a year. Okay. Um, um, so you have to go the, out and... The gal who's newer, she's been with me for, I think, seven or eight months, so she's still our new employee. Um, and because what we do is so specific, and I have so many different um, lines of service that generally exist generally, but I kind of do them work safe way, um, mm-hmm. so it just requires a lot of training. The whole, actually, onboarding process until someone is fully trained in all of our service lines is probably like a solid year. Um, so lots of mentoring during mm-hmm. that time, too. Uh, you know, when I hired, it was difficult to hire, and I think... Um, I am just, I insist that we know the jobs just like the employees who are doing them. So we're in the production environment mm-hmm. every day that we're on site. We're not just in a clinic. And for some folks, that is a turnoff. It mm-hmm. is realistically. I but that. I, I'm very clear during the interview process of what I expect. That you will be out in the plant. Yep. And yeah. uh, the, the final interview is always whatever client that person is being hired for, we're at the plant and that's what we're doing is a walkthrough of the plant oh, fantastic. so that they can know if that's actually an environment that they would be comfortable yeah, I would in. imagine oftentimes um, coming out of occupational therapy school, you have not spent a lot of time in a slaughtering facility, harvesting nope. facility, I nope. guess. <laughs> that <laughs> nope. might be a, an interesting first experience for most of these folks. Um, I think it would be. And so my employees, I'm so thankful for, they're awesome. And Good. I think it did take me a while to hire, but I think it took me a while for the right reason. Like, we're just such a great team. Finding and I'm right so thankful people. for them, yeah. Good for you. Um, but, you know, the way that we practice is very different than the traditional medical model because it has to be mm-hmm. um, because we're not practicing in the traditional medical model. And it's much more preventative, which I believe healthcare should be, but it's mm-hmm. not. No matter how much healthcare says it is, it's right. not preventative. Um, and so we're really attracting people to the company who are interested in prevention. Um, and who are sort of burnt out from the insurance model, mm-hmm. um, which is very reactionary and very limited. Um, let's see. They have Good. to be able to work in dirty environments because we're in dirty environments. Yeah. It just it just is. Yeah. Um, but I actually just recently partnered with the Med Center. So I'm going to start doing guest lectures to their um, occupational therapy graduate nice. students uh, for one of their courses. That's It's actually a brand new OT program. Um, and they're very excited to partner with me. And I think our we're kind of in line with yeah. one another and our and our values where I think people should have access to our knowledge base as healthcare providers. That's why right. we go to school. Um, and they feel the same way. Um, and I think they're also kind of pushing non-traditional models too, because there is so much burnout in healthcare in the traditional medical model. I mean, I, I, I had someone say to me recently, she's like, I don't think I've ever seen any therapist over who looks to be over the age of 40 years old still practicing. I'm like, there's a lot of burnout. Interesting. (laughs) Wow. I did not realize. I mean, I know that, you know, from the aspects of COVID and the things that we've seen from emergency, more emergent care, a lot of burnout. Mm -hmm. And understandably, I didn't realize that was an issue for throughout the healthcare profession Um, to some degree. In therapy, it is for sure. Um, Just because... I think because of how the medical model, insurance-based model is set up, um, you know, we go to school for all these years and we have this knowledge base and we essentially can't use it and we just have to do what insurance tells us. Yeah. But we don't need to go down the insurance rabbit hole. Right, understood. <laughs> but the sort of person that's attracted to WorkSafe, uh, you know, they're independent. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a prevention mind Mindset, rather yeah. than reactionary. Um and they and like people, obviously. They like it's people. people business. They're open to new settings. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. I like it. Mm-hmm. Guys, this is Danny Arroyo. She is the owner, president, uh, head consultant at WorkSafe Consulting. Um, you need to have her in your facility. She and her um, employees, they can help you. 
Um, they're helping some of my clients, and um, I'm going to try to get them in the rest of my client facilities <laughs> because they need the help. And what I do for them is very limited, and I think what you add to this uh, process is uh, incredible. So thank you for what you're doing. I'm speaking on behalf of all of these industrial folks here in Nebraska. Um, they are incredibly grateful, and I'm sure fortunate to have you guys doing what you're doing to help them. Um, it is an important piece of the puzzle. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up for the day. We've gone. I think Cam is asleep now. I do want to announce that um, Cam is going to be joining the Herd at Media Safety Committee. We're very proud of that man, and um, two years of doing this or a year of doing this has paid off. It's something that'll be look nice on your resume, I'm sure. So, Danny, thanks for coming in. Thank you for sponsoring the podcast and for what you're doing for our other groups, the Midwest Safety Cooperative, just in our safety community, what you're doing. We appreciate it, and um, keep going. Thanks for having me, Doug. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. (laughs) Yep. All right, guys. Um, We're going to wrap up. All of Danny's information, content information, is going to be posted on my website, posted on the podcast. It's going to come out on the YouTube, so all of that information will be available to you. Caller, find out what they can do for you. We're going to be posting more YouTube videos in the near future on some of these national emphasis programs, regional emphasis programs that OSHA has been pushing out, so a lot of information to come in the near future. Guys, have a good weekend. Thank you very much, and we will talk to you later. Bye-bye. A Huda Media Production.